Hi, and welcome to the Cosmic Nurse Podcast. My name is Rosie. I will be your host. This podcast is designed with you in mind. I have decided to put on my cosmic cape and share about cosmic and earthly knowledge centered around truth, justice, health, and spirituality. Humanity is hungry for more at a higher level of spiritual support that is anchored around harmony, joy, love, and connection. People are seeking true leaders. On this podcast, I will bring forward leaders who are paving the way in this renaissance of spiritual evolution. This is a space where you can find resources, education, community, and support. I invite you to think and feel outside the confines of the 3D world with me as your guide, seeing beyond to your bliss and more. Thank you and welcome. Hello and welcome to the Cosmic Nurse. My name is Rosie and I will be your host. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming one of my favorite people, Dr. Sam Coe. He comes to us this afternoon from Southern California. And I just want to share just a little bit about Sam and why he's here. Sam is an emergency room doctor who has been using um, ketamine in his practice for uh, about 20 years. Um, he was a researcher in the University of Washington Department of Neurology studying neurosyphilis. Uh, I'm going to have him talk a little bit about that. Um, he started out in the emergency department and he utilized ketamine within procedural sedation, uh, realigning broken bones or stitching up patients. And now with everything that's going on with ketamine in the world of psychotherapy, he has a clinic that he opened called Reset Ketamine in Palm Springs, California, which he opened in April of 2018. His focus and his passion are centered around holistic care for his patients and the evidence-based practice that has really been in the forefront with these alternative types of therapies um, like MDMA, LSD, psilocybin that are being used more and more in psychotherapeutic uh, controlled settings. And Sam is going to share a little bit about his practice and how that all came to be. So I would like to welcome Dr. Sam Coe to our podcast. Thank you, Sam. It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me, Rosie. I'm an avid listener of your podcast since we met, and it's uh, truly a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time our, through our busy schedules and aligning everything kind of gets a little bit much, but you know, both of us are we're really in it and doing it. And so I'm, I'm very happy to be bringing you on and, you know, really wanting to shed some light on, on what ketamine is doing. I feel like, um, just even in the last couple of years, um, really has been my own personal awareness around the potential of this molecule and what it's doing for people. I really got to see a more broader sense of what that means um, while I was at the Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver earlier this year and got to see and hear a lot of speakers and scientists and doctors and therapists talk about 
psychotherapeutics uh, within, you know, a different type of setting than what we're used to seeing them. I'm used to seeing ketamine used. I'm very familiar with this molecule. Being a nurse in the ER, you know, I use it all the time for pain, for patients on ventilators. Um, I am for psych patients. We're starting to, I'm starting to see that a little bit with some of our newer doctors. So I'm really pleased about that, actually. And then just for, you know, just the regular procedural stuff. And so I know that you have a beautiful practice down in Palm Springs. And um, I would love to hear a little bit about like what brought you to that, you know, um, just share with the audience, you know, maybe just start with like your background and, you know, how you came to open this practice. Yeah, I really feel like it's a part of my life purpose. And when I look back upon my life, when it was happening, it didn't necessarily make sense. But now that I reflect upon it, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's a synchronistic connection. Um, so for example, like when I was in college, you had mentioned I was studying a bacteria. It was called uh, treponema pallidum, which uh, creates syphilis and neurosyphilis. And one of the medicines that I was working with for the animals in our uh, lab was ketamine. And I didn't even know what ketamine was. All I knew was that we were using it for sedation at the time. This is like 20 plus years ago. And so I was administering it. And then when I got into med school, my the area that I decided to focus on was emergency medicine. And as you're probably aware, the two most common specialties that administer IV ketamine are anesthesiology and emergency medicine. So I did my um, residency down at Loma Linda University in Southern California, which interestingly is where the vast majority of initial research was done on the use of ketamine for procedural sedation in the ER. So prior to that, it was mainly used in operating rooms. And accordingly, a lot of my faculty attending members, they were using ketamine for sedation and for intubation, all sorts of different things. So I became really familiar with that ketamine medicine and molecule. And um, then about maybe five or 10 years into my medical practice, um, I was working you know, at a multiple ERs. And I came across this really interesting article where scientists were using IV ketamine for depression. It was a study done by Dr. Berman. Um, I think he was in Yale. It was funded by the National Institute of Mental Health. So something about that article just clicked in my mind. I'm like, wow, we see so many patients in the ER who are on psychiatric holds, who have suicidal thoughts, um, depression, PTSD, anxiety, OCD, uh, a lot of psychological issues in addition to you know traditional medical emergencies like strokes and heart attacks. So once I came across that article, I was like, this is really fascinating. I had no clue that ketamine could do this um, in an off-label type of way. So for those listeners who are not aware, ketamine is, it's an old drug. It was invented in 1963 by uh, Dr. Calvin Stevens in Wayne State University. Originally, the original FDA indication is for use as a sedative. And more recently, I would say in the past 20 years or so, there's um, a lot of research on the off-label use. So it's for a different indication. So for something that it's not necessarily FDA approved for. At any rate, yeah. So I was working in the ER using this medicine, uh, coming across the research. And 
There was a point where I was the associate medical director of uh, ED, and they wanted to promote me to be the medical director, which is a very traditional path, um, very solid ladder that I was climbing. And I had to make a decision, Rosie, at the point. I'm like, all right, do I want to go down this traditional path or do something non-traditional, i.e. opening up a ketamine clinic? And I really thought deeply about this. I really thought, you know, what do I do? Do I do the traditional path or do I do something that's pretty out there and alternative? And this is like, you know, seven years ago. So I know there's a lot about ketamine therapy now, but back then there was hardly there were not as many clinics. There were not a lot of news articles that we see now. And I think the decision or one of the factors that helped me make this decision was like, well, when I'm 85, 95 years old, will I have regretted not doing something different? Do I want to stay on the traditional road or take the road less traveled? And I took the road less traveled. It was a big leap. It was a lot of um, risk. And now that I'm doing it and I've been open for you know about five years, five plus years, done of many, many infusions, it's like one of the most gratifying, most fulfilling, emotionally, spiritually nourishing um, careers that I could have cho chosen. And I envision myself doing this for another 20, 30, 40 years because of how rewarding it is. Wow, that's amazing. Um... And honestly, it just, it really inspires me a lot to hear your story, even though I've heard it a few times, because it it just, I kind of have those thoughts too, of like, you know, just deciding to, to do like the next things in my nursing career and which I kind of have already. And which is why it kind of brought me back to, you know, doing something that's more in service and like something that fills my heart and spirit, mm. you know, because, you know, it's, it, you spend so, so long, you know, especially in this world where of medicine, you know, medical people, people, us, and we're like, okay, we got to climb that ladder. We got to keep going. What's the next thing? You know, we got to do the, da, da, da. you know, I mean, nothing is wrong with that. Nothing is wrong with that. And for a lot of people, that's all they need. It's fulfilling enough. But for some of us, you know, that have a kind of different perspective on reality, on consciousness, on spirituality, the bigger picture, meaning like more meaningful things, you know, things that are really like fulfilling in my soul is like, I'm always the one that kind of person is like, there's got to be something more, you know, what is that more thing, you know, and I feel like that's a lot of some of the conversations that you may be even having yourself with your, with your clients, you know, what is that more thing? And then how can I get it? You know? And I feel like this is one of the things that this type of modality can potentially offer somebody, you know, those people that are really seeking for mind expansive experiences, but not so much where it like blows you out of reality to like what you're actually doing here, you know? And I think that, you know, from what I see and, you know, I would love to hear your opinion about it of like, how does ketamine therapy for people who may not be familiar, like, can, how, how, do, what does that do for people? You know, I mean, I, I feel like what I know of ketamine and what I've been studying because I've been studying, like taking like for, more formal uh, trainings to like really understand it in the non traditional way and the off-label way. Um, 
But for people that really don't understand, like, what's the big deal about this ketamine thing? You know, because, you know, like yesterday, actually, um, I was, you know, kind of resourcing and doing break relief. And, you know, one of my roles is like, I've got to like cover for other nurses while they're on their breaks. And so we landed an ambulance of this of this uh, patient who was found, you know, not in his right mind and taken mushrooms, taken um, ketamine, taken marijuana, you know. And so I feel like there's this stigma around these type of substances. And I call them medicines, but there are they are substances, you know, that has like a, a stigma attached to them. And so I really would like to, you know, maybe start off this a little bit more descriptive conversation with you, Sam, about, you know, you are a doctor, I am a nurse, and we're bringing this information to our listeners, because we want to inform and educate people. So can you kind of clear up a little bit of this haziness that I feel surrounds these these medications, these therapies, these substances? I would love to hear that. Yeah. So ketamine has a really colorful history and it can definitely be a drug of abuse. So um, I think about ketamine and you know all the other substances and medicines that are out there, these are tools, right? And it's about how do I use the tool? How do we use the tools? So as a metaphor, we can take a hammer and I can use that hammer to build houses and make frames and put up paintings, or I could use that same hammer to crash and destroy car windows, right? So these are simply tools that we can use, which I think really is um, underlies the foundation of the concept. Um, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with like the concept of set and setting. And so it's like, well, how am I using this tool? What's my intention behind using this tool? Uh, because simply it is a tool and it's a powerful tool. And we need to use it responsibly, but sometimes people can use it irresponsibly. And it's really important that when someone is receiving ketamine therapy, that in my opinion, it has to be in the appropriate set and setting. Um, and then the third S that I'll add in, which uh, is screening to make sure that it is an appropriate medication. I know at our clinic, we get a bunch of patients who are considering it. And a lot of times we'll say, no, it doesn't seem like it's the right medicine for you. Um, so set, setting, and screening is really crucial for these tools, whether it's psilocybin or MDMA, um, like having that kind of, I, I like to call it like a sacred container of receiving the medicine mm. plays a really integral role. I think, I forget who it was, maybe Dennis McKenna or Stan Groff, they said these substances and medicines are like unspecified mental amplifiers. So whatever mental state that someone is in, it could, it, you know, expand it even more. So if someone is kind of in a really bad mind state, then it could amplify that. If someone is in a positive, more safe mindset and space, then it could amplify that. Uh, I'll give you one example. I was putting in a chest tube on a patient who was in a motorcycle crash in the emergency department. And it's a pretty painful procedure. Rosie, you're probably familiar yep. with this, but it's um, you know basically putting a chest tube through the ribs. And typically we just use lidocaine. But anyways, I was doing it on a patient. He was in agony. Uh, the lidocaine hadn't quite kicked in and he was really agitated. 
I had the nurse grab some ketamine to administer to him in the ER. And his state right before we gave it was in a lot of pain. He was struggling when we gave him the ketamine it actually amplified that he got even more agitated and even mm. more like he thought he was in hell. Mm. So recognizing that the state that someone is in prior to receiving these medications, I think it's really crucial because yeah, it can lead to some challenging experiences. Yeah. I think it's a really great um, analogy and I, I was just like thinking about, you know, some of the states that like I had this one pediatric patient once, I think he was like seven or eight years old and he had a, he, we had to do a closed reduction, which means that he's got a broken bone, but it's not sticking out of the body. And, um, the doctor can put it kind of back together so that it can heal. And then, you know, kids at that age can heal very well. Uh, with, uh, you know, just kind of setting it back into place. But it takes a lot of preparation. And this little kid was uh, extremely, I think he might have been even close to on the spectrum, even. And um, parents are like, I don't know if he's going to get an IV. I don't think he's going to sit still enough for that. You know, is there another way? And so, you know, the doctor and I collaborated. I'm like, well, let's just do IM ketamine because he'll, we'll have a pretty quick response. He'll you know, relax, the parents will be more at ease, you know, <laughs> and, and then we can put them on a monitor and do all the things and then put the bone back because literally it takes more time to prepare the set and setting, even though it's not like a therapeutic setting, you know, to keep the patient safe so that we can put the bone back. And then we, we did all that. He got, we had to hold him down. So it was kind of a wrestling, you know, match there, but you know, we're, we're pretty skilled at that, as you know, and, we we gave him the appropriate dosage for his weight. So it's weight-based, as everything is with this particular molecule, especially giving IM or IV. And like the procedure took like maybe less than 10 minutes, maybe five minutes, if that. It was all done. And then the kid woke up like calm, happy, and virtually not complaining of any kind of pain. And we really, I don't think we even gave him anything for pain. We just used the ketamine and it worked like a charm. I was like, yay. <laughs> so, awesome. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, that of like million examples of like how great this works. I had a, um, a gravely disabled 55 year old, um, severely, severely, like really, really like one of, one of the worst cases of autistic that I've seen, like he's in a home group home came in like with all the signs of like sepsis, which is a really bad, um, you know, multi-organ potentially multi-organ sickness. And, you know, we, we had to do a full workup on him and we had to do the same thing. We had to give him like ketamine, I am hold him down with five guards because he's that kind of hyper, you know, like he wants to escape all the time. And so then he, he, he got him down and we got the blood and then he got him on the monitor and he was doing fine. His blood pressure was a little low, but I wasn't too worried about it because I, you know, knowing what I know and we got him what he needed and he was able to leave like four hours later. You know, and so, I mean, I, I feel like these are some some very, really good examples of like how great this this molecule works, this medicine works for people. And, um, you know, just 
being in the therapeutic setting and your clinic, I, I would really love to hear about some of the conditions um, that you treat and how effective you feel ketamine therapy is in that type of setting. Yeah, great question. And um, actually, before I get into that, I do want to share something personal about the use of ketamine in the hospital where my daughter uh, recently had to get a procedure done, which was a, something called a spinal tap. Mm. And because she's you know pretty young and it's painful because you have to be really still when someone is getting uh, this lumbar puncture slash spinal tap. Um, fortunately, the um, nurses there and the doctors were comfortable with using intramuscular ketamine for her. Uh, and I had actually specifically requested, you know, that for sedation. And I had created the optimal set and setting for her because I knew that it is kind of a psychedelic type of experience. And so when I was telling her a story right before they administered it, and I had a playlist set up for her with her favorite Disney, Little Mermaid, Under the Sea, et cetera. So while she was under the procedural sedation from the ketamine, she was listening to music during her entire experience. And what's really cool about this is a lot of times for little kids, going to the hospital can be traumatic, right? Because they're getting poked and stabbed and they lose autonomy and control. And, you know, they, they're doing, you know, it's pretty painful and scary for little kids. And one of the things that I'm learning being a father is the power of play. So play helps kids process things. So anyways, mm -hmm. she gets the ketamine, she gets the procedure, everything is kosher. It's all good. Um, turns out everything is fine and she's, you know, back to normal. Everything is great. But um, a few weeks later, we were playing hospital and we were, you know, I was like, hey, we're going to put an IV and we're going to do this. And we're just pretending. Right. And she was playing. She was enjoying it. Right. She was like, this was a fun experience for her to play this hospital game. It wasn't like traumatic for her. And I attribute a little bit of that to that ketamine administration that she received prior to getting her painful procedure. So wow. again, the set and setting and processing it and, you know, having the music, like all of that plays a crucial role. Mm -hmm. Now going to the question of like what we treat at our clinic. So again, it is off label use. It's not in the emergency department. It's in an outpatient clinical setting here. And you know, I really stick with the evidence. So there's this concept called evidence-based medicine, which mm -hmm. um, during medical school, like they really emphasize that they're like, Hey, uh, got to study and do the scientific literature. So according to the evidence and the published data, uh, ketamine seems to be quite effective for depression, PTSD, anxiety, panic disorders, uh, OCD, and then certain forms of neuropathic pain. So when I say neuropathic, I'm talking about like trigeminal neuralgia or mm. fibromyalgia mm -hmm. or complex regional pain syndrome. Mm -hmm. So some of these painful conditions that are related to nerve etiologies. Mm. So if someone has like a mechanical type of pack pain um, or a structural, so for example, they're like, oh yeah, I have bone on bone knee osteoarthritis. That's not really nerve related. It's more like bone related. I haven't seen it be as effective for structural or mechanical causes of pain. I've seen it more effective for the neuropathic types of pain. Mm -hmm. And so at our clinic, we do about 80 to 90% mood disorders. Those mm -hmm. Some of the ones I listed and then another 10 to 20% are pain disorders. And sometimes they can also come together because a lot of mm -hmm. people with chronic pain also have 
um, some depression associated with it or anxiety or PTSD if it's, you know, like, let's say from a car accident or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we do it for various conditions and we just make sure that it's a good fit for the patient. What is your experience with um, ketamine and CPTSD, the more complex PTSD? Yeah. So complex PTSD is for those of uh, the listeners who don't know, it's, you know, when we think about PTSD, we think about like one major event, you know, the person, the military veteran in Afghanistan or Iraq Mm -hmm. or something, whereas complex PTSD seems to be more like multiple events. So for example, like a three-year-old with a lot of emotional, physical, verbal abuse as they were growing up, but not just one incident, but multiple, multiple incidents. And that's where we come up with the term complex PTSD, because it's not just one triggering event, but multiple events. Um, I kind of lump in PTSD, chronic PTSD, complex PTSD, all into the same category. Mm -hmm. And so we have seen some amazing results with both PTSD, complex PTSD, chronic PTSD. Um, Mm -hmm. One example is a, uh, going back to like, you know, two examples actually. So the one was a military veteran who had just seen some horrendous stuff. Mm. Um, I think he served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And a lot of PTSD symptoms related to that, like multiple events Mm -hmm. that he had seen. And what was really cool was after he received his six initial ketamine treatments, Um, he came back and he said, Hey, Dr. Ko, I was watching this movie. I think he was watching Saving Private Ryan. And he said, normally when I see movies like that, I would get very triggered and I would start sweating and having hypervigilance type of symptoms. And he said, I was able to watch this movie and just enjoy it and just watch it. Like none of it was triggering for me. Mm. And it was like, wow, his PTSD symptoms really, really dropped. And it was kind of subtle because, you know, he was watching this movie. He didn't even expect that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he found it was really effective for him. Um, another patient that we treated had just a lot of adverse childhood experiences while they were growing up. And um, that patient was able to get significant relief from that. Mm-hmm. They were able to see themselves from a different perspective. They were able to see themselves as kind of more of the adult And, you know, that he was doing kind of working with this therapist as well and doing some inner child healing work. And again, he had tremendous benefits. And, you know, you may be wondering like, well, how can you tell in addition to the stories that they tell us? Well, at our clinic, we practice measurement-based care. So each time the person comes in right before their infusion, we're measuring their uh, depression scores, their anxiety scores, PTSD scores, pain scores, whatever they're coming in for, we have a survey instrument for that. And so that way we can tell with each infusion, like, hey, are they getting better? Is, you know, are they not getting better? Are things getting worse? Um, so that we can, it can help us guide the therapy. Mm-hmm. And fortunately we have, I would say overall, like an 83% improvement rate. Mm-hmm. And I define that as a 50% or greater reduction in those surveys that they fill out. So we compare it, you know, what's, what was it like their first infusion, pre-infusion? And then what was it like, you know, right before their sixth infusion? And if they have a 50% or greater drop in the, you know, any of those scores, we consider them responders and improvers. And so, yeah, 83%. So it's not effective for everybody, mm-hmm. but I'm really satisfied with the results that we're getting. Four out of five people roughly will experience significant relief. That's some really great numbers there and some really great responses. 
So you feel like ketamine is really working with your experience, not only in your practice, but you know what you're keeping up with, um, with regards to the other studies that are coming out about ketamine in particular, with regard to addressing mental health conditions that are seemingly resistant to the SSRIs, like the traditional um, antidepressants or anti-anxieties medication. Do you treat a lot of people that are on SSRIs? And is this something that you're seeing a trend with a drop of their daily dosage or even... Because I know like I've had clients come to me about their desire to wean off of some of these medications. And, um, you know, they, they are like working with their primary care. It's just that, you know, my experience with some of these people is that a lot of times their primary care doctors want to keep them on the same thing. And they're not really so open to, you know, weaning them off or trying adjunct therapies like ketamine, and so um, what is your experience with that? And and like, how do you work with a client like that, for example? Yeah, great question. So a lot of our patients are on, on you know, SSRIs or anti-anxiety medications. And just to be clear, like I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals. So I have a pretty open mind. I think about whether it's SSRIs or medications or acupuncture, chiropractic, these are all tools. And so if a tool is working for someone without significant side effects, keep going, do it, right? It's like, um, I'm not really dogmatic and I I think, hey, ketamine is the answer. It's the panacea. It's going to cure everything. It's like, no, this is simply one tool. If someone is um, on a medicine and they're like, Hey, this is actually effective for me and it's working mm-hmm. and I feel way better. Well, keep on doing it. If whether it's acupuncture, chiropractic, like I'm also open-minded to other therapies, but going back to the question with people on medications, yeah, it's really important for the patients to work with their prescribing doctor. So I don't personally titrate them off their medications. As a matter of fact, I kind of like for them to not make too many changes. So if they're already on medications and they're stable, I say, why don't you just keep everything stable so we're not changing too many variables at one time? Right. Once that initiation series is over, talk with your doctor about maybe tapering off. And it's really important for uh, people to recognize that with some of these psychotropic medications, it can be dangerous to stop it cold turkey. So for example, if someone's on benzodiazepines like Ativan or Mm -hmm. Xanax or one of these medicines or, you know, any medication, like if someone just stops it cold turkey, it can lead to some serious side effects. Uh, Like with benzos, they, they can get seizures and it can be pretty dangerous. So it's really important to uh, talk with your doctor if you, you know, do want to taper off medications. But the other thing is to do it really slowly, right? So even if you are going to taper, like don't do rapid tapers, but talk, you know, if someone's been on, on a medication for like 10, 20 years, like, yeah, don't do it in two weeks, right? Take time. Um, I think it's better because our brain neurochemistry gets used to certain molecules and we just need to taper it gradually. I think that's the safest way to do it. Um, but yeah, we have seen patients who 
at her clinic, they'll start feeling better. And they'll, you know, in conjunction with their doctor, they'll slowly taper medications, or they may even say, oh, I don't need to use as much of my pain medication as I used to. Mm -hmm. So ketamine seems to like reset pain receptors. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, don't need to use as much opioids, for example, for their pain. And I think that's, you know, really gratifying. I, I sometimes, yeah, it does feel like people are over-medicated and it is nice to help people try something a little bit different, a little bit alternative to see if we can manage their symptoms and their mood and their pain a bit better. Wow. That sounds like amazing. I do have a question about a drug. I, I'm seeing a lot of patients that are trying to withdraw from opioids um, like Norco, Percocet, those are opioids or um, other um, opioids. And there's been a lot of um, doctors prescribing Suboxone. And so do you still see patients improving with, you know, that are trying to come off of opioids and with their pain while they're taking Suboxone? Yeah. So Suboxone um, is kind of a longer acting opioid. And yeah, we've seen patients who, you know, may need to continue taking their meds, but significantly less medications, opioids. So I would say it's kind of variable, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we think about chronic pain, it's such a diverse topic because the chronic pain, it's not just like one thing or one symptom necessarily, like someone's pain threshold may be significantly higher or lower. So it really depends on that individual patient on whether they're able to, you know, completely stop again, tapered slowly, or whether they reduce their medication use. Okay. Thank you. That was on my mind to ask you. (laughs) I see it a lot. Yeah. I have seen some um, (laughs) interesting studies. Um, I think they were published out of the VA. So I was at a ketamine conference and there was a doctor I think he was an ICU specialist and who was specifically using ketamine therapy to help detox opioids, but that was done in an inpatient facility in an ICU Mm. setting. Got it. So, but he had some pretty good results in getting tapering people and helping Mm. them at our clinic. We don't really do that. We don't, you know, we're outpatient. We don't do 24 hours a day, but depending upon, um, again, the set and the setting, it can be done. And there has been research published in this space as well. Oh, that's great to know. Thank you for sharing that. For all my medical people out there, you listening? <laughs> I know a lot of the doctors and nurses that I work with are starting to, you know, check out some of my recordings. So um, it's nice to have a medical professional that can really speak to to that world. So thank you. So with regard to how you screen your patients and um you were talking about safety and a little bit, we, we were kind of touching on some harm reduction. And so I was wondering if you could just touch on that a little bit for um, the skeptical people and, and how someone, you know, at a ketamine clinic would, you know, particularly yours would, you know, um, screen people and provide that harm reduction aspect of your work. Yeah, great question. So, you know, there's some areas where we want to be really safe with ketamine because ketamine can increase patients' blood pressure 
their heart rate and it can increase myocardial demand. So for example, if someone has uncontrolled hypertension, that would be a contraindication until they get that controlled. If someone, um, there's a theoretical risk of increasing intraocular pressure. So if someone has glaucoma, for example, that is uncontrolled, that would be a contraindication. Um, what else? Schizophrenia or even bipolar disorder. Sometimes ketamine can be known. Uh, there's hypothetical theoretical risks of potentially triggering schizophrenia or -hmm. potentially triggering manic episodes. So those would be some not absolute, but relative contraindications. If someone is in an active manic state or an active delusional state, that would be a contraindication. Um, So yeah, there's various things that we screen for just to make sure it's appropriate. Again, you know, ketamine is great, but it's not for everyone. And so we just want to do that really safe screening. And to be honest, I'm probably a little bit more rigorous in my screening at the clinic than um, other providers may be. But at the end of the day, I just want it to be safe. As you know, you know, there's the Hippocratic Oath, first, do no harm. And I take that oath very seriously and Mm. and I don't want to cause any harm. I just want to do it in a way with a lot of integrity, a lot of responsibility and making sure that the patient is aware of the risks and the benefits of ketamine therapy. As ketamine is gaining popularity, what are some ethical considerations that you believe are important for providers and patients to be aware of? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things that's happening now is the use of at-home ketamine. So the FDA actually just released kind of a warning letter, um, maybe, so we're recording in November, so maybe a month ago, two months ago, where they said, hey, there is no FDA-approved indication for oral compounded ketamine because there are some companies Uh, mainly started after the pandemic when the restrictions of prescribing controlled substances was temporarily lifted. And as a result, a lot of these online companies came to be, and they are sometimes prescribing massive amounts of ketamine. And when the patient is receiving ketamine delivered to their home, um, they're not being monitored. So it's not necessarily safe. And so if someone is getting huge amounts of ketamine and they're not having their vital signs monitored, so blood pressure, oxygen, cardiac rhythm, respiratory rate, which is what we do at our clinic, we do continuous vital sign monitoring, um, it can lead to issues. So remember, ketamine, the original use of it is as an anesthetic. So Mm -hmm. that's what it was FDA approved for. So if someone is getting an anesthetic delivered to their house um, with some of those anesthetic properties, it can lead to some respiratory depression. It can lead to hypoxia. It can lead to uncontrolled BP elevations, um, some other, you know, conditions that affect the vital signs. So I would say the ethical component is how do we deliver ketamine in a safe way? Right. And I do understand that there's a cost factor because if someone is doing it at home by themselves, like, yeah, it's going to be much less expensive than if someone is doing it in a monitored professional environment with, Uh, medical supervision. So I think um, one of the concerns and biggest things that has been on my mind about the cost component is like, why aren't health insurance companies covering this? 
I mean, there's mm. robust data, there's meta-analyses, there's systematic reviews, which is the highest level of evidence. But um, they're saying, oh yeah, it's too experimental or it's not FDA approved. And they're pushing back on covering IV ketamine therapy, which I think kind of does a disservice to um, the patients that they serve. So if there's any health insurance personnel listening to this, like, I mean, follow the evidence, follow the data. And I think if they see those studies, they may be willing to change their minds. I mean, there was a New England Journal of Medicine article, which is a really well-respected academic article, and they were comparing ketamine versus ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, mm -hmm. which is considered the gold standard for treatment-resistant depression. But there was a large study, I think it was like 400 patients, which is huge. And they right. found that the IV ketamine therapy was just as effective as electroconvulsive therapy without mm. the side effects of memory loss. Mm. So um, some of the ethical considerations are like safety and cost. Yeah. Well, we were talking about Belinda earlier today, and um, there's this uh, initiative that they're working on with the Church of the Eagle and the Condor and some other projects that she has within the Navajo community. And one of the things that they're working on is working on an initiative to provide cost-effective treatment with ketamine um, to the Navajo community, which are severely, you know, the Native American community and minorities um, are very underserved communities. And there's a lot of things that are happening within that that are really starting to come up more and be on the rise as people are getting trained and are appropriate for to be able to administer this in a safe set and setting um, and work with, with people within those communities and, and to bring this medicine for healing for them. So there's some really good things happening out there and it's really it's given me a lot of hope too, you know, um, to take care of people in a different kind of way, you know, which is what I believe that, you know, people like you and I and Belinda and um, our other friends are, are really trying to do out there. So you, you spoke a little bit on, um, you know, well, you were kind of touching on it a little bit about some developments and research and within the future of ketamine. And so what do you see is, starting to, and I feel like it's kind of coming up on the horizon, even as you're speaking and as a, being someone that has their own ketamine practice, being the director of your, of your clinic. And also I would love for you to speak a little bit about um, your consulting um, business as well. I've mentioned it to a few of my, you know, ER colleagues and doctors and, you know, they're really, their ears definitely perk up about it. I will have to say they're, there's definitely more um, people, doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals that are very much in alignment with what ketamine is doing. And so I'd love for you to share some thoughts on that as we're beginning our closure here. Yeah. So when I opened up, you know, six, five years ago, there were not a lot of ketamine clinics open. I was probably one of the first physicians to, you know, do this in California state. And as a result, I started getting a lot of my colleagues. Um, they're like, hey, Sam, how did you open up a ketamine clinic? You know, what do you do? What's the process? Because in med school residency, we're not really taught like the business side and the operational side of opening our practices. 
because a lot of physicians are actually employees. The vast majority are employees. So, um, you know, I helped a few clinics open up and just doing all these phone calls and giving them protocols. And then about two years, I was like, wow, this is actually taking a lot of my time. So my wife and I, uh, who's also a physician, she's an ophthalmologist. Um, we decided to start up kind of a consulting service. It's called Ketamine Startup. And that's where we help uh, physicians and other clinicians uh, who are familiar with ketamine and opening up their own practices. And um, it's exciting because we've helped 12 plus ketamine clinics open up. And I think about um, the impact that I want to have in my life. And I realize that, you know, it's awesome to work with patients and it's really gratifying, but there's only one of me. So how can I expand my leverage? How can we help even more people? And that's by helping other doctors open up their ketamine clinic practices. And so that's kind of um, a secondary thing that I do with my wife, where we facilitate um, creating clinics. And I just want to make a bigger outreach. At the end of the day, I think what's most important for me is to make an impact um, in my little circle of influence that I can. I remember when I was in med school, I was like, I want to go change the entire healthcare system. It's like, well, the healthcare system is huge. It's, it's, um, it's a giant. But what I did realize, Rosie, is that what I can control is my circle of influence. And this is one of the ways that I'm doing that is helping other clinicians open up their IV ketamine practices. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And uh, speaking to that, I think it's really an important message. And, um, and for people that are hearing this and are interested, we're going to have more information about Sam and his practice and his uh, consulting in the show notes and at the end of our um, uh, end of our episode here. So in closing, um, I just want to say thank you so very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule of being a business owner, a, a clinician, a healer, a father, a husband, a friend, a brother, just uh, really deep gratitude for for your energy and your time and what you're doing. And, you know, that you are definitely a source of inspiration for a lot of people and uh, myself included. So in closing, I would love to, if you could share where our listeners and your future listeners, because Sam is going to be opening up a podcast soon. Okay. The cat is out of the bag. Um, So we'll have more information about that. Um, but yeah, can you just take a moment to share where people can find you and get some more information about Reset Ketamine um, and getting in touch with your team? How could people do that? Yeah, great question. So for people who are in the California area, they can, um, and you know, potential patients, they can check out our website, www.resetketamine.com, R-E-S-E-T. K-E-T-A-M-I-N-E.com. And we're on all the socials. So my wife, Kim, does all of our creative directors stuff. So she's uh, has, we have um, Instagram, we have a YouTube, we have Facebook, we have LinkedIn, TikTok, Pinterest, everything just at Reset Ketamine. And then for clinicians who are interested in opening up um, their own IV ketamine clinic, they can always go to ketaminestartup.com and learn more. And then for the listeners... Um, of the cosmic nurse, I'm going to create a special web page website. So if they go to resetketamine.com slash Rosie, they'll find some additional information, some links, um, other cool articles 
that they can learn more and uh, explore this space. And, you know, I just want to end with, you know, gratitude for you, Rosie. Thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, do this. I know you're busy and you're juggling many, many things. I think it's really important for information to be spread. And, you know, I really think it's a gift that you are offering to our community. So thank you, Rosie. Thank you so much, Sam. As always, it's a pleasure to see you and be with you. And to all of our listeners, thank you so very much for joining me today on another episode of The Cosmic Nurse. We will have um, information in the show notes about our conversation with Dr. Sam Coe and how to get a hold of him, his team. If you're interested and in the Palm Springs, Southern California area, please look up Sam and see if that is something that speaks to your heart, speaks to where you are with your, on your healing. And then you can always get a hold of me at rosythecosmicnurse.com and my Instagram, Rosie the Cosmic Nurse. And this is the Cosmic Nurse Podcast. This is Rosie over and out. I look forward to seeing and thank you for listening today and blessed be to everyone. Take good care. Thank you and have a good evening. It has been my joy and honor to share space with you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. My heartfelt intentions are to be in service for those who continue to be curious on ways to thrive. If you liked what you heard, please see the show notes below for more information and subscribe here and write me a kind review. You can also find me at thecosmicnurse.com. You can send me an email and you can follow me on IG at Rosie the Cosmic Nurse. Thank you for listening and until next time, ciao.